the big threat is not being able to recognize that this too is a time, a period in time. It will pass. We will be changed from it, but that doesn't have to be a bad thing. We should stop focusing on what we have lost or what we can't control and start focusing on the good that's coming out of this. I'm Jeff Cobb. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 255 of the Leading Learning Podcast, which features a conversation with Tracy Steiner. This is the fourth episode in a seven-part series on the learning business in disruptive times. Tracy Steiner is the Senior Vice President for Education and Training at NRECA, the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association, a trade association based in Arlington, Virginia. Jeff spoke with Tracy in September 2020. Like most uh, trade associations, we have a large advocacy and communications arm representing our segment of the electric utility industry. My role in education and training is to provide professional development opportunities for our member cooperatives, both their staff and their board of directors. So all total, we're talking about a little over 70,000 co-op employees and uh, roughly 7,200 electric cooperative board members. Now, because they're cooperatives, these board members are elected from the consumers that buy electricity from those co-ops. So they tend to be lay people. That is, they're not um, industry rich in knowledge. They come in uh, having other expertise and community involvement. And so a big part of our education program was based in training those directors for the role of running a multi-million dollar electric co-op. And our electric cooperative staff learning programs run the gamut from conferences to in-person and online training programs. Some of those are cohort-based and long-term. Others are approaching micro-learning in terms of more just-in-time learning programs, predominantly web conferences at this point. And now we're about to talk about the times that we're in right now, you know, which obviously uh, very turbulent times, but... I imagine even before a global pandemic came along that there was an awful lot changing in the world of electricity, delivery of uh, electricity. Is that true? And, you know, how is that playing out in in our ECA's world? Yes, Jeff, it's absolutely true. Um, While I think Electric utilities are not maybe the first industry that you think of as going through transformational change. Um, After all, if you look out your window, you probably still see wood poles with wires on them, and that technology has been around for about 100 years. But increasingly, our cooperative members are embracing a wide range of different types of technology to automate and get greater real-time intelligence about the functioning of the electric grid. And that's been a multi-year effort. Uh, We're also seeing the proliferation of renewable energy resources, and they put different demands on the system and require different technologies and different skill sets of the staff to manage uh, an increasingly variable energy resource. And by variable meaning 
the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. And unlike other things, energy is not something right now that can be cost-effectively stored. So there's a lot of real-time reaction that's required in managing that system. And we're getting more intelligence because of sensing devices and other technology that's being built out on the grid. So from a technology standpoint, a lot of change. Um, we're also seeing a generational turnover within our electric cooperative uh, co-ops in both the staff level and board level. These are folks coming in with different ideas, different expectations, different work styles. And lastly, we're also seeing just members want to interact with their co-op in different ways. They want ease of use, they want convenience, they want choice and options, and they're used to being able to do most things on their phone. So they're trying to take that Amazon type of experience and expect it from their electric utility company. So those are some of the kind of foundational changes that our members have been wrestling with. And along with that comes a need for new skills and new capabilities, both on their boards and on their staff. And that's where hopefully we come in. Well, that's a, that's a lot of change, um, you know. And as you noted, uh, on the uh, the co-ops themselves, the, the, the volunteers there, you know, mostly lay people. They're they're having to deal uh, with all of this, and I guess uh, learn a lot very very quickly. So now, you and I are talking as part of a, a series that we're doing now on the learning business in, in disruptive times. And so, when you think about uh, what we're living and working through right now. What comes to, to mind for you? What are the kinds of disruption that, that you're experiencing right now? I would say our biggest disruption from our perspective as a learning business is that while we've been dabbling in online learning for many years, it still only made up a very small portion of our entire portfolio. I would say if I looked across the numbers maybe 15% of our business was actually being an online learning provider and the other 85% was in-person training programs and events like large conferences. We haven't had a large conference since the second week of March and we barely finished that up before things really started to get crazy. And um, so we've had to make some very major pivots in terms of our skill set on our team and what we spend our time doing to deliver online learning opportunities for our members during this time. So that's probably been the most direct, um, you know, challenge to us. And at the same time, I think we're also trying to be mindful of the disruption that our members are facing. A lot of people that are out of work, um, so they're seeing higher delinquencies in paying their electric bills. Um, they, too, are struggling to adapt their operations to more contactless and remote uh, and mobile uh, activities for members to establish service, to pay their bills, to dispute um, a, a, a bill, and so forth, report an outage. So we're trying to be cognizant of the fact that they have a lot going on too. And therefore anything that we offer them online, we want it to be easy. We are trying to make it as affordable as possible and convenient in terms of timing. Are there any other ways in which you've, you've changed, um, 
that you know you're very directly in your in your messaging and your offerings, just in the way you're relating with members, saying you know we, we recognize the pandemics out there, we recommend we recognize some of the stresses that it's uh, causing. Yeah, one of the things we're hearing loudly and clearly is that our members really miss getting together with one another. Um, that peer networking is just so important. And, you know, you don't always find that in a trade association because in many trade associations, the member companies are competitors of one another. So sharing at the level that we see is is somewhat of an anomaly. Um, and that's largely because they are um, more monopoly businesses, right? They have a dedicated service territory. So they're not in direct competition with one another. And that sharing of ideas and lessons learned happens so freely. And a lot of it happens face-to-face and folks have developed very close relationships. And NRECA's role in a lot of our programming has been to bring those people together, um, typically face-to-face and enable them to you know, solve problems, get new ideas, leave with some inspiration and motivation and a backup resource of, of folks that can help. So that's been that kind of real disruption, I think, that people are still struggling through. And while we have offered a number of online programs and tried to build in that networking, it's it's still not the same and people really miss that. So trying to be cognizant of that and not to um, not to try to sugarcoat or overpromise what we think an online experience, a learning experience can really deliver to them. And and just being very upfront about that um, and letting them know that we understand that this is something that they miss and that we miss it too, frankly. I, I like that, um, you know, obviously being very authentic, uh, you know, obviously uh, wanting to be and being, you know, trustworthy in, in terms of, you know, how you're presenting things, that this is, this is a, uh, what we need to do right now, we're going to do it as well as we can. We're going to get better at it. Um, I imagine it's going to be a bigger part of, of what you do going forward, the, the online component of this, um, but also recognizing, obviously, that people do value that that face-to-face uh, time together. And, and we know from so many conversations are missing it uh, <laughs> greatly. Um, I'm wondering about other aspects of what we're experiencing right now. Because, I mean, in some ways, the pandemic is just I think it's brought to the forefront or uh, somehow has helped bring to the forefront um, some of the things we've already been experiencing that have been there for a long time in terms of, um, you know, systemic racial inequity that's out there. Um, certainly we have a lot of uh, uh, contentiousness in the, in the political environment right there, right now, uh, particularly around that um, issue of racial equity. Are, are there ways that that factors into this may be, you know, within the learning business. It may be within what NRECA uh, overall is doing as an organization. How are you wrestling with that? Great question, and I think it's one that a lot of companies and associations probably wanted to be a little more hands off about before, because it was just fraught with a lot of of peril, of risk of offending someone or leaving out someone, or just not knowing how to go about having intelligent conversations about systemic racism and diversity and inclusion and equality. And thankfully we had 
already kind of been going down that path internally at NRECA from our own staff standpoint, um, creating an employee group to really first provide a forum to better understand what um, people were experiencing and how they felt NRECA was responding as an employer. And before we went out to our membership, we really felt that to be genuine, to be authentic, and to have something really intelligent to say, we had to first, you know, um, understand ourselves where we were at and live through that kind of early formation of something more intentional and deliberate around uh, these issues. Uh, we also have a board president who has championed these issues, and we have some member resolutions that state um, the desire for cooperatives to live up to their potential. Uh, cooperatives as a whole have um, something unique about their business model in that we subscribe to certain values and principles. And, and one of them really does center around uh, equality and democracy and ensuring uh, self-help for those that maybe need um, a little bit more assistance, those communities of, of people that have been underserved in one way or, or another. And that really speaks to the heart of what electric co-ops were about because they were formed because for-profit companies did not want to go out and electrify rural America because it was simply too expensive and they would never reap a profit. Um, so it kind of touches on our very roots and that gives us a plank to stand on to begin to have those kinds of conversations. And the way we've tried to translate that through our learning business is to come at that as sort of diversity awareness and uh, fairness and equality, inclusion um, from a particular skill set or cultural competency that is built into our frameworks that we've created. We created an electric cooperative competency framework for electric cooperative staff and then another one for board members that really speaks to those knowledge, skills, and abilities that they need to be successful in their respective roles. And we're now working to make sure that we're highlighting those competencies more and that we're focusing programming more directly and intentionally on helping our members build those competencies within their own systems. It's interesting. I've, you know, known um, you and, and our ECA for, for many years. Um, it, it, it hadn't really quite clicked with me until we were speaking just now that, that, that whole cooperative model, I mean, that really is about, you know, very diverse people coming together and, and, and serving a community need. So, you know, in so many ways, it's a, it's a great space for um, having some of these conversations. And uh, I definitely share that, that feeling you expressed around some wariness around how do you have intelligent conversations? How do you have conversations that really are meaningful and, and useful and are going to help and heal rather than just uh, hurting the situation? And it can uh, certainly be difficult at times to do that. A lot of times, you know, organizations don't necessarily want to touch politics so much. Um, and this is definitely not, you know, Republican, Democrat, you know, getting into the, the specifics of the race. But it's a very it feels like a very unstable environment out there right now. Nobody knows which way things are going to fall um, in the fall. How does that impact, you know, your your organization overall and, you know, how you're th thinking about the coming months and, and, the, and the coming year uh, unfold? 
Right. Well, I think, again, like many associations, we probably have members that span the political spectrum from very conservative to very liberal and progressive. There are R's, their D's, their I's, and everything else. Um, where I think we see it really impacting some of what we do is that it's very easy when we talk about certain topics, and in our industry, climate is one of those, where it's very easily uh, a slippery slope of people going to polarized ends of the political spectrum and having that debate because the parties have aligned more on two opposite ends of how we address climate change. Um, so that's a sometimes difficult uh, challenge for us is that some of the most pressing issues in our industry are ones that have been politicized. And how do we help our members in terms of our role as a convener of leaders within our industry who want to get together and talk through tough issues and share ideas? How do we help them have those conversations, but have them in a safe environment where it doesn't immediately devolve to those ends? And that really takes a lot of very deft facilitation skills to be able to pull that off. Um, it's very important to craft the messaging correctly and set the expectation around how those kinds of conversations are going to take place. Um, too often, I think we can want to just take the easy way out and just say, let's just not go there, right? And at least from my own personal standpoint, I feel we do our members a disservice if we're not willing to put in the hard work of finding a way to have that conversation, not ignore the elephant in the room. And when you have help to create and cultivate a, an expectation among your membership that your organization is where we can go and agree to disagree, but have constructive and productive conversations about tough issues. That's where I think there's a lot of value to be unleashed. And I'm hoping that we continue to be on that path of willing to take on those, those subjects. And certainly, given where we are in the election cycle, that is going to be even more difficult to do. But I see it as one that's really necessary if we want to help fulfill our mission, which is to help move our, our cooperatives forward and help them be successful in the future. I think that is so important what you just hit on about um, and so valuable to to be able to provide the spaces where those conversations can happen and, and to be able to facilitate those types of conversations well. And, um, you know, obviously that just plays out in, in general in interactions with and among members. It can also play out very specifically in, you know, education and then formal learning experiences that you're offering. Are, are you doing anything or do you, um, plan any initiatives around, you know, helping whether it's just your staff or also your volunteers uh, and those, those instructors who are in the classroom, are, are you doing anything to help them at sort of being more deft at, at, at facilitating in a way that um, they're, they're going to be able to handle these types of conversations well when they come up? Yeah, that's, that's not something I want to, just throw anybody into and, mm. you know, sort of like throwing them in the deep end of the pool and saying, good luck. Um, no, we, we really do try to take some time to think about first, who has the credibility in terms of the knowledge base to really understand 
these issues, which are much more complex than they're often made out to be in popular media. Um, so we want to have someone who is facilitating that conversation that, again, has credibility with our members, that understands the industry, and is perceived as a neutral party, you know, that their role is there strictly to be the facilitator, not to take sides, not to declare a winner. Um, they're not a judge or an arbitrator. They are there to merely keep the conversation going try to help the, the parties get to whatever conclusion it is that they're seeking for that particular conversation or, or meeting or program that they're a part of. So um, we, you know, one, look for folks that already have that skill set, and then also just uh, try to coach them up and prepare them well for that. Let them know of what we expect and you know, where are our members on this? We have members that are coming at this from very different perspectives, making sure that they have a full understanding of that uh, giving them, you know, techniques and making sure that they know if this comes up, this is a, an instructive way to handle that. Um, saying it's okay to say, I'm not sure how to react to that, or I would need more information if they're, you know, in a situation where they're sort of being asked to give their professional opinion. Um, so we try to give them as much coaching and guidance as we can. And again, pick the right person for the job. Not everyone is well suited to that. Um, you have to have someone, I think, who is willing to be in a, in a difficult or uncomfortable conversation at times. Not everyone is. And that doesn't mean that they're not a great instructor. They just may not be perfect for that particular facilitation role. Right. I do think that is just uh, so important that um, that you're providing that type of support. And, and as you note, it's it's not for everybody. Um, but of course, you can't always control when you're going to end up in those uh, <laughs> those type of situations. So having having some coaching, having some support to to prepare, uh, even when they're not expected, I think is incredibly important. You know, the times we're in right now, I think obviously can be daunting. And, and I'm wondering what you see as some of the potential threats uh, right now, um, particularly for organizations that are in the, the learning business. What, what worries you most uh, as we're heading forward? So threats are what worries me most moving forward out of this time. And, and I do think it is important for us to remember that while this feels like it's been going on forever and that it's not going to resolve anytime soon, it is something that we will get past and we will have a new normal. So I think the, the threat that I see most is people who misjudge and think we're somehow going to go back to the way things were before. And that they're just sort of riding this out and everything will be fine and we'll be back to what we used to know. And I think that that is a real risk for someone to take that view. There are going to be ways that we're changed fundamentally as a society as well as um, learning businesses in responding to COVID and what comes after. So keeping an open mind and recognizing that some of the strategies we're employing right now to kind of get us through this may or may not last. And I think that's going to be the real imperative is to try to see beyond this. And I can see some folks really have a hard time with that. Um, that is, it's hard for them to see past the immediate 
uh, situation and think to what is our next normal that we want to create. So instead of waiting and reacting to whatever state they find themselves in, say a year or 18 months from now. So the big threat is not being able to recognize that this too is a time, a period in time. It will pass. We will be changed from it, but that doesn't have to be a bad thing. We should stop focusing on what we have lost or what we can't control and start focusing on the good that's coming out of this. Um, so if I could speak about that for a moment, one of the silver linings we've seen is that we have been overwhelmingly pleased and pleasantly surprised by the reaction to our co-op board members to online learning. That was a cohort where a small but vocal minority would speak up from time to time and say, you've got to bring training online. You know, I still work full time. I don't have the time to travel to come to your in-person training. Um, You need to make this more convenient for me. And yet we just didn't have a majority who felt that way. And so we resisted trying to replicate um, that very rich dialogue that we enjoy in a lot of our director training courses online. And we made that pivot and started offering those courses in an online format in May. And they have really gravitated to it. We sell out sometimes in a matter of a day as soon as we open a course. So that tells us that there is, in fact, an appetite. And we need to stop thinking of this as an either-or and look at it as a both-and situation, that there are segments of our membership for which this is all they're ever going to want after this. And there's another, I still think, majority segment that is going to say, I can't wait to get back in the classroom. But, you know, sometimes online is good enough for me. And we have to be flexible enough to be able to deliver our programming our content across different channels and in different formats to satisfy those different member segments. And so do you, do you feel like that's going to be a, a lasting change that, um, that e-learning is going to be a much bigger percentage of your portfolio going forward? Absolutely. And we do know that there is a fairly significant portion of our membership that they are just very, very small companies They just don't have the luxury of being able to allow someone to travel out of state for four or five days to go take a training program when you've only got maybe 15 employees, 20 employees. That's just not realistic. And we've known that, and yet we've not been able to figure out how to do something to serve that part of our membership. And this has taught us that that is an opportunity, but we shouldn't think that online is just for them, that it's not just for those folks that can't afford the time or the dollars to come to in-person training. We're also seeing that there is a large appetite within our more moderate and heavy users as well. You know, they, they like having choice. They like having the opportunity to do it this way or that way. You know, what works for them at one point may not be as convenient another. So, Um, If we can provide those options, that is really going to be important. And that is, I think, a lasting change. And the challenge there will be how do we staff our organization to be able to meet that demand when at this point it's somewhat unknown. Um, And I've been really pleasantly surprised by the adaptability of my team 
to learn new skills and to get outside their comfort zones um, because predominantly they've been focused on in-person events and in-person training. And they've really jumped on this bandwagon. They've risen to the challenge. Um, They've learned a lot through the process. And I think, you know, it's going to be how do they balance what they probably really loved to do before and were really great at. And now they've got some new skills and, you know, finding the, the right balance for them to play to what their real strengths are, yet also align those with what our members are asking for is going to be my challenge. And I think that's such a important perspective you shared around e-learning, not just being for those who, you know, maybe can't afford it, whether budget-wise or time-wise or whatever the barriers are to them. Because I, I think historically, e-learning has always been treated as something lesser. It's what we'll give to the people who can't manage to make it to the real stuff, um, basically. And and we definitely need to, to get rid of that mindset. Uh, I think it, you know, at, at the sort of highest level, um, some of these, uh, the, the, the broader issues of equity are wrapped up in there as well. Now, I wonder, e-learning, um, uh, probably a lasting change. Uh, what else, what other changes do you think will be lasting out of what we're experiencing right now, whether, whether they're good or, or bad changes? Well, um, we're still in the middle of it, so I, I can't tell you that it's going to absolutely be a lasting change, but this is what I foresee is that um, – being an association, we don't just rely on registration fees for revenue associated with learning programs. We also have trade show, we have sponsorships. And I think one of the things that's going to change as a result of this is we're going to look more holistically at all the different types of ways we might engage with our vendor community and provide them the value that they're looking for, which is to connect with our membership in meaningful ways, to be um, thought leaders and content contributors. And instead of doing that very piecemeal and event by event, I think we're going to be looking more broadly at how do we really kind of put together packages or bundles of benefits that meet their needs as well as ours and help us, you know, maybe be able to provide more than what we could with just our own resources or maybe at a more affordable price point that's more attractive to our members uh, than we could otherwise. So I think it's really going to help upend our whole approach to sponsorships and trade show involvement from those vendor companies and really invite, hopefully, a deeper and more strategic partnership um, with those key vendors. I look, I look forward to seeing how that evolves at uh, NRECA and at other organizations. It, it does seem like uh, that is certainly a direction that, that membership organizations really need to be looking at and, and taking seriously. Now, you know, you're someone, as I mentioned earlier, that I, I've known for uh, a good while now, um, have a, a great deal of respect for how you lead your team there, how you lead learning there at NRECA. So I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't ask on, on behalf of uh, uh, all of us, are me and, and the listeners, what words of uh, advice, caution, courage, however you want to frame it, um, do you have for, for anyone who's in the learning business right now about 
you know, how, how they can, how they can thrive, how they can be their best in, in this moment. Well, I don't know if it's a highly original set of, of advice, but I think just first acknowledging to yourself that this is a trying time. It is wearing, and it's particularly wearing as a leader when people are turning to you for answers and clarity in what is a very uncertain time. So I would just say, you know, first just take a step back and, and recognize that in yourself and don't be afraid to share that with your team to acknowledge that you like them are feeling unsettled, uh, that you don't have all the answers, but you're going to help them find the answers that they need to do their best work and keeping your mind focused on what your true goals and purpose and mission are, and not so much on the day-to-day disruption about how you achieve that mission. Because I think what we've all learned, and we just need to celebrate when we do have those small wins or maybe big wins, is that there are multiple ways to achieve our goals and objectives. And we are going to find them, some very intentionally and others by happenstance, and that's okay. It's what can we pick up and take with us that helps set us up for success moving forward. Tracy Steiner is the Senior Vice President for Education and Training at the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association. You can find out more about NRECA's membership and industry at electric.coop. For more on what NRECA is doing to serve its members, particularly from an education standpoint, go to cooperative.com, NRECA's primary member-facing web presence. At cooperative.com, you can access information before the firewall on what they offer to members around director training, cooperative staff training, conferences, meetings, and more. NRECA also focuses on helping its members navigate the educational offerings and think holistically about how they develop the knowledge and skills of their team. The help NRECA has put in place includes competency frameworks and a set of short articles called Tracy's Takeaways. Tracy writes some, and she's also invited colleagues in to contribute to Tracy's Takeaways, offering snippets on learning and development, organizational culture, leadership, and more. You can find links to NRECA's websites, NRECA's competency frameworks, and Tracy's takeaways in the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 255, along with a transcript of my conversation with Tracy. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 255, you'll also see options for subscribing to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss the remaining episodes in this series, we encourage you to subscribe, and subscribing helps us get some data on the impact of the podcast. And we'd be grateful if you would take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts. So Lisa and I personally appreciate it, and reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple to leave a review and rating. Lastly, please spread the word about leading learning. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 255, there are links to us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.